0: So, what I would like to do, Be'ez HaShem, today is to give you a little bit of a trip report from my trip to Eretz and talk about various halachic things along the way. One video I, show, I sent on the group you might have seen about uh, the Tremes and from the Oranges. There's a lot of history to that. But I'll go chronologically in the order of my trip. So, first of all, um, in Chutz we're reading a different parsha then we're reading in Eretz And the reason for that is because the last day of Pesach, Eretz Pesach, was in Shabbos, so in Chutz we read the reading of the last day of Pesach, and Eretz Yisroel, they read um, the reading of the next Shabbos. And we don't, quote so we're still a week behind them, and we don't, quote-unquote, catch up to them until Matush Masay. Matos Masay is going to be in a few weeks' time, before Tisha Bav. That's when we catch up to Eretz isn't, now, longer, isn't that longer than normal? Though? So, it's the longest. There's, there's three possible. <coughs> I'm sorry. There are three possible times when we could fall behind Eretz Yisrael. One is when sh- the second day Shavuot falls on Shabbos. And then the second and third are when the sec- last day of Pesach falls on Shabbos. But there's a difference between a leap year and a non leap year. Um, yeah. Um, <coughs> the last day of Sukkot is the Torah. Um, can't fall on Shabbos, and so that's, uh, not, that, that's not relevant. Um, now, Levi is right that this is the longest time we fall out of sync because what happens is when 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 Shavuos falls on Friday Shabbos, so Shavuos is always around Parshas or and then what we do is we have Chukas Balak go together. So Shlach Chukas Balak. It's three or four weeks. Uh, where we catch up. Chukas Balak can never be together in Eretz Yisrael. The only time Chukas Balak is together is when Shavuos falls on Friday and Shabbos, and then in Chutz we have Chukas Balak together, and in Eretz Yisrael they have it separate. I remember in Yeshiva there was a sicha from the Yisichas that was on Parsha's Chesvav base, and there was an Israeli Bachar who couldn't for the life of his figure out what that is, because Chesvav base is an acronym for Chukas Balak, but there is no such thing as Parsha's Chukas Balak in his knowledge, so <laughs> it's right. Now, when Pesach falls on Shabbos, oh, last day, Pesach falls on Shabbos. When it's not a leap year, we catch up uh, a few weeks later. But when it is a leap year, as it is this year, then we're out of sync for I think it's about eleven or twelve weeks until Mati's Masek. Now, so I so there's a, so there's a lot of discussion about how to do deal with that if you're traveling because you're missing a week. So for example, the last Shabbos I was here two weeks ago, we read Parshas um, Shlach over here in Chicago. The next week we're going to read Kairach here, but I was going to be in Sisral, where they would already be up to Chukas, and I would be missing out on Kairach. So there's a lot of discussion about whether or not there is an obligation on each individual to hear the whole Torah, to hear the reading of that Shabbos, or it's just a communal obligation, and if an individual misses a week, it doesn't matter. Not going to get into the whole different opinions and different things, but the bottom line is that, certainly in Chabad, there is a strong emphasis to try that every individual should hear the entire Torah every week, and so a bunch of kind gentlemen, some of you who are on this table, came a little bit early to shul that Shabbos afternoon, um, and Shabbos Muncha, I read the, instead of just reading the beginning of Kairach, I read the whole Parshot's Kairach, uh-huh. and so I was able to not miss a week. Now, many people ask the question, well, what, there's so many opportunities to catch up before Matis Massey, what we have, Chukas Balak, we have uh, I think Echim Miskudoshim was after Pesach, Bahar Bukh There's so many different opportunities to catch up. Why are we keeping ourselves out of sync for all these months? Hmm. Now, the truth is that it's a, it's a good question, but it's a question that come, that is born out of... Everything okay over there? You need a napkin? What do you need? Okay, so there's tissues here, there's paper towels there. Can you wash? Okay. You can bring over a chair, sit over here. Go wash your hands. It's born out of uh, an, uh, our modern um, world's view without understanding how things have changed. It is true, by the way, that there are differences in how we do the parashas to how it was done at different times. actually recently came across somewhere on social media um, some manuscript of an old chart or calendar where it had parishes, um Kairach Chukas together. So we have sometimes Chukas and Balak together when Shavuos falls on Friday Shabbos. Some community somewhere used to sometimes have Kairach and Chukas together, which that doesn't exist today. But what we have to understand is that when the, when the order of the parashius, of the how to read the parashius was made, was, was, was drawn up, there were certain agendas in mind. One of the agendas is based on the Gemara Megillah that Parshas Devarim should be read before Tishavaf. Another agenda was that Parshas Buhukosai should be read before Shavuos. Mm-hmm. Right? It was in nobody's fur- it was the furthest thing from anybody's mind to make sure that Eretz and Chutzlars are reading the same Parsha. Who cares? They weren't they were, traveling from Eretz Yisrael to Chutzlars was such a rarity. That it was a, nobody cared that we were reading a different parasha. You do your thing. Yeah. What's Varian? the difference? All, all, that ca- all that you need to know is you have to read the Torah every Shabbos, and um, and and and, and and you have to get to the varim before Tishubov. So when it comes like this year, in Eretz Yisrael, I- we have to combine matzahs. Ma- in Eretz Yisrael, they're going to get to the varim before Tishubov. <laughs> if we keep on going our regular s- s- um, speed, we're going to get to the varim a week after Tishubov. You have to leave. Just for a second, we got to the after So, in order to get to the before before Tishbev, we combine matas and masse. Now, we could have just as well combined chukas Bahar or any other combination, but there was no need to. It didn't matter to anyone to get. It. All that mattered was to get to the before before um for whatever reason, whether it's to get the khalos before Tishbev or it's to get to berishis before. There could be all different reasons. That's one of the that's one of the benchmarks mentioned in the Gemara, which the Rambam mentions. So that that was that. Anyway. Moving on further in our trip, we um, flew out of Chicago, we connected in uh, D.C., we had a minion Meyer at the gate in D.C., it's still very different than flying out of the East Coast where there's many more firm people on the plane, there weren't, I mean there was a minion, but that's about it, there weren't a lot of people who were interested in dominating Meyer with a minion. and it was going to be rush Chodesh, so the flight was, it was really tough, it was, it was exhausting because we're leaving D.C. around 11 p.m., by around 4.35 AM, DC time, it's already past midday, because you're flying east. So you had to finish shachris and Musaf, Shachris for sure, Shachras, Hal, and Musaf um, quite early in the morning, so there wasn't a lot of chance for too much sleep, and it was a very crowded flight, so I ended up davening just on my seat, and I... I, I, my, my approach is better to sit down for the Amida on your seat rather than stand up if you're going to be disturbing people and other people disturbing you. You could probably have more kavana while sitting down comfortably than, especially, you know, I was in the middle seat and there was actually an non guy next to me. So, uh, you just need down need right there. In the right <laughs> no, <laughs> no issue there. Um, but the question is on the way back, you have to turn around. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, definitely facing the right direction, which actually, you know, you say that, but it's not so simple. We actually, one of the very, very first classes we did here about six years ago, in this before Bob was around, it was about how to determine which way is Mizrach. There are two ways to figure out the closest distance between any two spots on the globe. One is, in today's language, one is called the Great Circle Line, and one is called the, I think it's called the Rum Line. Um, and it's, if you notice, whenever you watch the flight map on a plane, you'll see the plane doesn't... It looks like it's going all the way up and back down, right? That's, I believe, called the great circle line, which um, mileage-wise is the quickest way to go from any two points on a, on a, on a circle, on a curve, on a globe. Um, whereas... But it's not the most direct way. You have to keep on changing directions. Versus the most direct way would be longer in mileage, but you just face, you know... So, for example, if you go to maizmanim.org, whatever it is, at the bottom of the page, for whatever city you put in, it'll tell you where should you face for Mizrah in this city. Well, if you follow the Great Circle line, it's this. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in Chicago, you'll notice Yochadon always faces mm-hmm. the corner. In Chicago, according to the Great Circle line, which is how the Alter Rebbe and some Tzadik Talad and Aruch, Jerusalem is actually not east. It's it's uh, right ab- exactly 45 degrees degrees northeast. Um, which is why Yochanan is always dabbing on his slant, um, because he's facing that corner, which is, according to Altareba the correct way to do it in Chicago. Um, we will, we're not going to talk about now why most people don't do it, but so according to Altareba, you're right. If you're flying toward Eretz then you're automatically facing the right direction for the Amida. You don't need to change anything, but according to those opinions who say you should follow the run line, um, then you might have to give a little twist in your seat over there. <laughs> anyway, um, landing in Eretz um, so, um, right away as we come into the arrivals Hall, <coughs> um, I was welcomed home. Somebody came running over to me and said, did you hear Lane? <coughs> um, did you hear Chris Atehra? Now, besides probably most people, anyone who's been to Israel is familiar with the shul that's in the, in the departures you know, by the gate. There's a shul there. But there is also a shul outside of security and outside of the welcome hall on mm. one flight up. There's a shul over there as well. And uh, so I was, I think, the ninth or the tenth for his minion, and we ran upstairs. And right away, in Thursday afternoon, in the airport in Tel Aviv, we had a minion for Chassad Torah, for Ish and the Ben Shgemo. And actually, um, one of the halachas of Ben Shgemo, which is difficult and not necessarily always kept, is that the pasuk says in Tehillim, we say this, we say this in, um, we say this in Tehillim one o seven. We say it on Friday afternoon before Mincha. Says, we um, do you should praise Hashem with a congregation of people, of Moshev Zekanim Yahaladuha and you should praise Him in the in the presence of Zakenim elders. Now, Zakanim doesn't just mean elder, doesn't mean elders in age. Zakenim means people who are Talmidei Chachomim, Torah scholars. And Zakenim is in the plural, so it's a minimum of two. So it's brought. Rambam Gomorrah, says that when you bench Gaimel, besides having to have a minion, you have to have that two of the ten people present. Are Talmud Chachamim. Now, practically speaking, it's a little bit of a. How do you define Talmud Chacham? And, I, and the Mice of people, the, the, the common practice is you have a minion, you bench a and that's it. But in the minion we had in the airport over there, there was at least one person who, judging by the design on his Bekasha, must have been a very big Talmud Chacham. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway. Now, then. We get to Jerusalem and it's still Rish Chodesh. Rish Chodesh was Wednesday, Thursday, so this is Thursday afternoon. It's still Rish Chodesh coming toward the evening, the end of the second day of Rish um, One of the things that always—I <laughs> know it—but every time it like gets me all flustered again—is the amount of, or the the, the the little amount of time you have in Eretz Yisrael between sunset and dark. You know, here it's sunset, but okay, you've done a yet. You still have another twenty, thirty minutes in Israel before you turn around. It's dark. It's like it happens so quickly. But, um, so, my grandfather is buried on Har which is not, unfortunately, not the most uh, convenient, <coughs> practical place to get to. But I've never been there before, so I haven't been there to Israel since he passed. Um, that's not true. I, have, um, I was there since he passed, but I didn't make it to Har that time. Um, but, um, and uh, I have a son named after him, Yasal. Anyway, so, but we did, and so there's a discussion about going to a cemetery on Rosh Chodesh or not, um, both halachically and mystically, Kabbalistically, but I spoke to a Chabad Ravna at Israel who's very familiar with both of those uh, schools, and he said it was absolutely okay for us to go on Rosh Chodesh, and so pretty much as soon as we got to the apartment, we all all family, were sharing the big apartment. Me and my mother, my brother, and my cousin of mine went out to Harazesim, Avrami, um we parked so 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 the truth my grandfather's actually buried on the top and to drive to the top you really it's that's really not safe neighborhood and people basically only go with security but actually but uh, because it's you drive through areas where there's bad people but um but we actually came from the bottom and we walked all the way up so we did drive yeah but it was fine so we come in, of course, we talk in our tzitzis. Now, by the, time we got, ah. by the time we got to the top, it was um, quite dark already, so it was certainly past sunset. And uh, so even for those who wanted to be dafka at the cemetery when it was not Rishchidosh, we got that in as well. Now, um, one of the practices related to Yisrael, which we, I believe we've discussed here before, is tearing kriya. We tear, rending our garments upon seeing in Shekhan Arakis port three different stages on, for which you tear Kriya one is seeing Are Yehuda B'Churbanon to see a city of Judah in its destructed state now Ari Yehuda basically means Yerushalayim in south I'm not really an expert one time when I went there to Sral um, I actually ended up going to hebron before I went to Yerushalayim hebron so I know for sure is Arei Yehuda B'Churbanon so I d- ended up that, on that trip tearing Korea three times all on the same day um, because I saw heaven first, but usually it's just, you have your Ahri uh, then your Shalim, and then there's Maqam HaMikdash, which you see the Kaisal, that's called Maqam HaMikdash. And for each one of them, there's a Pasuk that you say. Now, you. most, I wouldn't say, many people don't do these Kriyas. Um, many people just don't do them at all. Some people look for some sort of halachic workaround. They go on Friday afternoon, um, I've heard even some people saying Rishchaydish, but I looked it up. It doesn't seem like Rishchaydish is actually any reason not to rip. Um, you go on Shabbos, you go Matzah Shabbos. Maybe people s- do some sort of financial, you know, acquisition where you uh, share, uh, switch garments with somebody else, which is extremely dubious because uh, the halacha is clear that even if you're wearing somebody else's garment, if the person knew that you were, for example, if you borrow somebody's suit to go and visit somebody who's dying in the hospital, then the person lending your suit understands that he might get it back ripped. So, anyway, the, the b- but in practice, uh, my, my opinion, my approach, uh, the Friedrich Rebbe when he was in Eretz did tear his garments. Um, when Emanuel Shochat um, came back from Eretz from a trip to Eretz in the late 50s, um, the Rebbe reprimanded him for not doing it. And um, one other person who I know who asked the Rebbe is Rabbi Talzner, that's the father of Rabbi Talzner from uh, normal, previously of Skokie, so um, his father, who is currently the rabbi in a, in Melbourne, Australia, used to live in London, so when he was visiting Eretz Yisrael, I believe in the late 60s, I have it on him on WhatsApp, I could verify, he asked the rabbi if he should do it, and the rabbi said absolutely he should. And so I do it, I've done it in the past, so um, here I went up to Harazesim, and from the top of Harazesim it was a little bit difficult to see because it was already getting dark, but my cousin who was with us, he knows Richelaine very well, he was able to pinpoint exactly where it is. We were able to see the tip of the coastal from the other side um, and and the, the Dome of the Rock, so um, the the mosque, the Dome of the Rock, so my brother and I tore Korea right there on Har which was actually turned out to be a bit of a strange experience because just about a minute later. I met somebody on Harazesim who I don't know well but I was in yeshiva with him and he happened to be on Harazesim for his father's yard site and he says, what are you doing here? And I said, I came for my brother's wedding and he was all confused to see me on Harazesim with a ripped shirt coming for my brother's wedding. <laughs> it, was a, it was an interesting encounter but anyway. Uh, and then right there on Harazesim actually I passed um, right actually a few feet in front of where my grandfather's buried. Is the <laughs> grave, which is uh, somewhat of a shrine, if that's the word, of uh, Gabi and Rifki Holzberg, the Shluchim from um, Mumbai, who were killed? Yeah. And um, that's the way. They're you're also pres- buried in Harizais. Yeah, right there. Is that the way you're supposed to say it? Mumbai is the new name, right? The old no. name is idolatrous. You're not supposed to say it. Which one is the new? Which one is the old? The B or the M? I think the Mumbai B, the B ma- is the old English one. Yeah. yeah so we're not supposed but to we're say that. Cold. I just no, it was no because it's the name of a We had a whole class about it. About her. that's andi or Umbai, no, or um, which one? No, I don't know. Anyway, because I had a whole class about it, that was, was Mamash, the name Avedizora. of an active of You're yeah, not supposed to say it. Anyway, we also passed. Um, I, it was getting dark, kill? and it wasn't the right time to explore the whole Haruzaisim. Why they Randall, let's try. Only interrupt if this is a very urgent question. Oh okay. Why yeah, but this it's is not a personal conversation. This is a class, so we don't interrupt. Um, so uh, it wasn't time to go and explore all different grade. but it's the first time. Ta- usually, whenever I've been to Arzizim, I come from the top, which is right near where my grandfather is. I've been there before my uncle is there. Other people I know are there. I've never been sort of at the bottom and walked all the way up and down. So I didn't have a lot of time to explore, but I did notice it was getting dark, but I did notice, actually, right n- right near there, there's and Schartze Babzeh, uh, Eichenstein, who's the mother of Rabbi Eichenstein from Devon, has an, a unique name, and she actually wrote in her will that nobody should name after her. <laughs> so, that's a name, actually, a picture of, <laughs> of me by her grave. Anyway, so I passed that. Or she sue. <laughs> and, uh, no, but I think that was, spare, spare <laughs> that was a very... Spare embarrassment. That was very compassionate to her. Anyway, but I also did pass on the way down the, the cave, which is also a little bit of a built-up of the Torah's Chesed, who's the Lublin Rav, who was a very famous place, who was also a Chassid of the Tzamech who later went to stroll. And his name was recently in the news because, not in the news, but in the halachic news because um, he is one of those poskim who, I don't remember exactly what he holds, but he's somewhat towards the lenient side when it comes to questions on abortion. So, anyway. So, Abortion? uh, abortion? We spoke about this manual. Anyway, so then, sorry? You you did priya after the chuppah? No, the chuppah was the next day. The next day. He wasn't, a he wasn't his No it wasn't that brother it was my younger brother Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway <coughs> all right then is Azoya. of course um, Friday morning go to davin of course yeah. now you have to be very careful with cashius and ert- straw especially um, with fruit and vegetable which here we don't even think about over there. I want to try and only get it with the tapksherim and there are certain neighborhoods where it's easy to get those but where we were we had to sort of do some fishing around but we found good yeah. stuff. Course there's, fruit and vegetables. Of course, there's birchaz kainim every day. And uh, it's Israel, even for Ashkenazim. I actually oh, recently way. came across recently came across that apparently, and I don't really understand not how or what. You was. got a great idea. In, um, in the UAE, United Arab Emirates, the Ashkenazi minion over there also does birchaz kainim every day. I'm not sure how far back that minhag goes or how. I just came across that recently. Anyway, so we do have B'Rechus Khanim every day, and we had B'Rechus Chaynim on Friday morning. Um, the Chope itself um, was also, a few things were interesting, um, the Ksuba, which seems to be the standardized Ksuba um, of the Rabbanot, had a lot of uh, details in it which are not standard in any Ksuba that I've seen. Um, there was a commitment in there that he wouldn't marry a second wife. Um, it actually had translated into um, contemporary currency exactly how many shekel. Um, in, ca- in, in contemporary currency, the, he's committing to, to, to the ksuba. That's because of all the uh, immigrants from Arab countries, probably, to Israel. You sing the first thing about the the multiple wives. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, one it was steady. interesting. Suba was a, it was also a very long. Suba, which How I what? Well, I believe it was, if I recall correctly, it was one hundred eighty thousand shekel. What's that in dollars? It's a lot. thousand. Right? One hundred eighty. Yeah, it's fifty thousand. Yeah. All right. It's anyway. a lot more than what they would say, I think, here. Finale? So he, the wording was different. It didn't say how much he was most It just This is the main suba. And he added a certain amount, which together totals that. So it doesn't say how much he added. must be rich. like 30 cents. It's three and a half shekels to the dollar right now. Anyway, um, Shabbos, uh, we haven't actually... The whole Sheva brachas was in this penthouse place. We davened on the roof where you could actually see, you could see the koisel from where we were dominating, mm-hmm. at least from Incha once it got dark, you couldn't see so much. Um, but, uh, right, um, there was actually an interesting shayla because there was planned a musical Kabbalah Shabbos early, but also in Yishalayim, they can- the candle lighting time in Yishalayim is 45 minutes before sunset, so there was a question at what time we should stop the music, in the end the music didn't end up happening. Um, there's also um, the hot water question on Shabbos, which we discussed here for those who come to the Halacha, you with the, with the, the chamesh, how's mm-hmm. it called, the, the solar panel boiler, so that was relevant at Shabbos as well. Anyway. Yeah, on, Sunday morning, morning, said, well, no. <coughs> on Sunday morning, what? On Sunday um, morning, Mendel and I, together with my brother Schnee Zalman and Ariye Sova, anybody remember Arye Sova? I uh-huh. So to mm-hmm. be my neighbor and Jarvis, they live in bit, now so they join He joined us with the family. We did a tour um which included part of the Rova of the Jewish quarter of the old city, but it started off by the southern excavations of the Kaisel. Now I paid a lot of money for this tour, and I was beforehand feeling a bit apprehensive, and I was like, okay, you know you go on the trip, but it was an absolutely amazing tour worth every penny I would have paid more and the r- one of the things that made it so amazing was that it wasn't just he is a licensed pay? tour guide in the in the he he is a licensed tour guide in Israel, but he's not just a tour guide. He's a he's a real Talmud Chachem, and he knows all the relevant um, Gemaras and Midrashim and Chazals to the things we were seeing. And it was really nice to be able to put everything together. We really had some nice conversations. So I want to share a bit about that and also um, hopefully some pictures I can show you. Um, and the, uh, the, the story with the Truma of which I posted the video of, is from the end of that tour, or from part of that tour, which, again, I'll, I'll show you. So if you, uh, has, has anybody has sh- sh- has everybody here been to the Kaisel? Bob, you've been to the coastal? You've never been to Israel? you seen pictures of the coastal? Okay, mm-hmm. so the area, when you look at what's called, what they call the Kaisal yeah. Plaza, to the right of that there's like this bridge with steps going up to the Harabais. That is the whole coastal area, which is, that was, um, I don't know if it's always been there or if it wasn't always been that way, it was excavated hundreds of years ago. Um, the Jordanians built houses almost all the way up to the coastal. If you look at the pictures and the videos from when they, got to the Coastal in 1967, by the end of the Six-Day War, it's just a very narrow street, and very shortly after that, they just bulldozed all those houses, and that's how, what's come to known as the Coastal Plaza. Mm. Now, to the right of, now, that is, that section that you see is (coughs) a, just a section of the western wall of the Harabais. Now, if you're facing (coughs) the wall to the left of that, that's where the Harabais, the western wall, continues toward the north. (coughs) And if you've ever done the tunnel tours, which, in my humble opinion, are quite overrated, <laughs> um, but one, yeah, then they made a much bigger deal out of it than, it, than and it's not really so interesting. Um, but um, one of the er- there is one spot in the tunnel tours where you often see women standing and davening, and those women are allowed mm-hmm. to enter without tickets and only to pay their entrance fee. Any, any woman who wants to go and daven there is allowed to go and daven there. And the reason is because that is that area is directly across from, right, a few feet away from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, from where the Holy of Holies was. And it was some deal that they made because the women only had less room, whatever it was, so they made a special concession that any woman who wants to go and daven there can. And you'll often see in the tunnel tolls you'll see some women just standing there saying, tell him, that's that area over there. That's the Western Wall. Now, to the right of that plaza, there's a little bit more of Western Wall, and then the corner t- turns, and there's the Southern Wall. Now, that whole area, the rest of the, the southern part of the Western Wall and the western part of the Southern Wall were only excavated recently. Excavations over there started, I think, 50, 60 years ago, and um, maybe even less than that, and certainly any proper excavations where you can actually go down and see stuff is only in the last few decades. So that's why that area is much less famous or much less visited, but you can go there. There is a very small entrance fee. I think it was like 10, 11 shekel a person. um, And that's where we met our tour guide and we started out over there. So first of all, he showed us when you look at the I mean one of the things that they point out in the tunnel tours and you can see this at the coastal is the sheer size of the coastal stones and how it's impi- amazing how they how they even brought them there. And one of the things actually <laughs> you know cuz I'm looking at the stones with him later on I noticed like there doesn't seem to be anything holding the stones together they just seem to be piled on each other in a very particular way that <laughs> they've stayed for thousands of years. And he said it's he said if you remember uh, a few weeks ago, we did a class on on uh, the Targum of Rus, and we discussed where does the where does the, the the Gemara Megillah says that there's a Targum on Torah and there's a Targum on Neviim, but there's no Targum on Ksuvim. So, what's the earliest reference for a Targum on Khsudim? So, we mentioned the story that Rabbi Gamliel was sitting in the Harabais reading a Targum of Eif. <coughs> And someone came to him and says, your grandfather said, you're not allowed to have this, and he was going to hide it. And th- in the context of that gemara, the gemara says, how do you have tit in the Harabais? How do you have uh, cement in the, in the Harabais?" So <laughs> the tour guides quoted this gemara to us, and he says, it seemed to me this thing that there's no cement in the Harabais, even in the walls, there's no cement in the Harabais." Anyway, again, I have to look up the Gemara exactly to see why I didn't have a chance to look it up since the tour. But anyway, now, going back to the size of the stones, he showed us with He has this laser where he points. The corner stones, the stones on on that southern, southwestern corner of the Harabayas Wall are are much, much bigger than any of the other stones on the Kaisal. You're talking... The height is the same, but you're talking... I mean, I didn't measure them, but... I don't know, probably... 15 feet long, right, crazy, huge. And um, he said that the the, 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 f- the stones in the corner, which is sort of what gives structure to the whole thing, are always going to be much bigger and stronger stones than the rest of the building. And that's what we say in Hallel. We say that the stone which was despised by the builders became the Roish Pina. Roish Pina means the head of the corner, or the beginning of the side. The stone that you start off building the corner, the side of each wall, is a much more important, prominent, and hence bigger stone than is the stones and the rest of the wall. But is it so now it's interesting it to see. a lot of trouble for those that are building in the beginning. Yeah, well, I don't know exactly how, well, <laughs> how they use the crane, whatever they system, how. I don't know. They <laughs> got it there. Okay. Now, then you're standing right there on a uh, on a street, which it's this is that's the level where th- this is the street where they would come. The pilgrims would come in the time of the second Mesa to visit the temple, and you see holes on the side, which look quite similar to the holes you have on the side of the street here to go down to the drainage, and later we climb down into the drainage system. But that drainage system goes all the way down to Meha Shiloach, which is mentioned in the Mishnah. And uh, t- till today, there is you can do a hike the other way around to start from Meha Shiloh and climb all the way up those drainage tunnels and come up over there um, on the Temple Mount. Um, It's actually where we were, it was like the bottom of the Temple Mountain It's the valley in between two mountains, which is why that's where the drainage system is, because you have all the waters from from the Temple Mountain, from the Jerusalem Mount, coming down together into this valley. (laughs) Now, so you're standing on that street. On the side of the street, you see booths, which look like uh, kiosks, like stores. And those booths were, because people coming up to the base of Mikdash, what was the first thing you needed when you came to the base of Mikdash? You need lots of animals for your various carbonis. Mm-hmm. So on those booths, that's where they would buy, sell the carbonis, but they didn't actually store the animals there. The mission describes they would go to these booths, buy a coupon, and then later go to the other side of the base of Mictos, which is where all the animals were stored, and they would switch their coupon for animals. And in the excavations, they did actually find these coupons which stay on them carbon, and you can't. they're in the museum, but the our tour guide did show us pictures of, the cor- of those coupons that were found on that very spot <coughs> where we were standing for the... in those, in those kiosks. What's in? I can give you the information. Uh, it's, a, it's a private guy. Um, now, then, we climbed down into the drainage system, which is... it was the wrong way, because really that... you're supposed to come in the hike from the Me'a Shaloach and come out through there, and it's a very tedious hike. But the tour guide climbed down, and he said, you know, there's no one there, we're not going to be disturbing anybody, so we climbed down into there. You see the the... the, the, the they have these... You know, there's a number of places where the water comes in, and different water levels, sure. you know, from different t- seasons of the year, and you see the remnants in some places of the of the um, lime on the wall. Now, the reason for the lime is because that makes the the, the stone of the mountain is porous, um, but the 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 lime keeps the water in, and that's the Mishnah Berurah which we just had. Um, that Rabbi Yochanan Ben had five Talmidim, and he he lists the virtues of each of those five Talmidim. And one of them is Rabbi Lezer Hurkanes, who's a bore sud she'enim ma'ambit tipa He's a well, which is sud, which is li- which is coated with sid, with lime, with plaster. Is the plaster and lime the same thing? Plaster that, that so it doesn't doesn't lose even a, even a drop. So you could see over there the plaster on the sides of the wells. So you're standing inside the well, and you could see the plaster, which was made so that it so that the water. So that the water retains, and this was used both as a drainage system, and it was also used to draw water from. Um, you could see the holes where they would lower down the buckets, and uh, and there were other gemaras. While we were there, he explained us a number of other which So What m- was this water used for? This was a drainage. Drainage. Okay, that was right. Now then. But why were they? Why did they bore in it? Why did they? Why, why did they? Because it they wanted there. to retain the water to have it there for the summer, in the wa- in the winter. The it water? Yeah. Oh, that's how Yeah. Now. Um, then you have, I'll show you a picture of this. Um, in the Mishnah, in a couple of places, in three places, the Mishnah Amidus, talks about in the Beis um there was a spot, there was a stone, which is Amal Amal, one Amal by one Amal, with a ring in it so that you could lift it up and go down. In English, we call that a manhole. Now, here we didn't, we're obviously not in the Mesa Mikdash, we're on the mountain, but there's a drainage system underneath, and what happens if you drop your, your car keys? Yeah? <laughs> right? So, there's a manhole, which is an amalama. it's the Shayish, it's an amalama. We actually asked him, because can you determine from here, there's a, a, one of the questions in the various excavations throughout the world, actually, but certainly in Israel, have been determining the correct size for an Amr because if we know that it says that this in this tunnel or whatever was so many amas long well we can measure it and see how many inches of it and see what they have, anyway but here there's a number of these different t- places these um, manhole covers which are amalama but then they're not all exactly the same size because this is not like a halakhic thing that it has to be amalama it's just descriptive you know they made a little hole now you think of amalama being oh a big thing actually it was a tiny thing all the other stones are huge And here you have a they cut out a small stone of an amalama, where you could lift it up, and I'll show you a picture of that stone. With you could see where the ring was. You could see there's a hole over there. They also, but it's it's definitely it's definitely close to whatever an am. Yeah, it's approximately 18 inches by 18 inches. But if one of them is going to be 15 inches and one of them going to be 20 inches, you know, whatever. And Uh, they they gave someone access to the drainage drainage system system to do repairs or or to uh, take out blockages. Yeah. Yeah by 18 inches by 18 inches, it's getting that thing. Is it possible it's that uh, I'm really just not really an exact my arm measurement? No. no, no, of course not. My legs oh, because we really. have all these like um, <laughs> <laughs> very uh, yeah. exact... Yeah, no, well first stuff. of all, uh, first of all, I mean, P and it's basic uh, so yeah people used to be much smaller than they are now both people were just smaller and also obviously wasn't a thing um but also i don't know that people had to go down or they would stick down tools that yeah. they had to get to get things actually another thing which i forgot to say when you're down in the drainage system you could see two interesting things because the coastal stones that you see up they're nice they're trim, they're, they're all like nice. the ones at the bottom which were the foundation of the coastal are not as nice because they were never meant to be seen so they didn't they, they're just Sort of much more. They haven't sort of trimmed, shaved them down to look so nice and even. But you actually see underneath the foundation. You're right at the bottom of the foundations over there, and you could see the actual Temple Mount, the rock of the mountain. You could see it and touch it there. Question? Yeah, you're clearly outside the wall. You could still touch it. But I know if you actually see the mountain itself. I'm just looking for a picture of that Tabas of that uh, this the, the ring. Hold on. Here it is. First of all, here. Here, if you look at this picture, you could see these are the foundation stones of the coastal. It's hard to see on the picture, but they are much more bulging out. And at the bottom, you see that's not a coastal stone; that's the actual mountain. See that? Mm. Um, at the right. Then you can pass it around. Right. You look where my son's feet are. That's not coastal stone anymore. That's he just mountain stuff. Yeah. This is the southern side of the west. The southern part of the Western Wall. Oh, okay, so you haven't made the, the turn yet. No, we didn't We didn't actually go into the Southern Wall very much. We stood at the corner, but... Oh yeah, you can see the change in the shape of the rock. Yeah. It's not cut out stones anymore, it's just raw, it's raw mountains. Right. 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 Now I'll show you also the picture of the Shayish. Now the next fascinating thing you see, here this is Mendel trying to lift the manhole, um, but actually, that's they didn't. There was a ring. In other words, mm-hmm. you just see a cutout in the stone, but they would to lift the manhole, they would put in a ring, mm-hmm. and they would lift it with a ring. Um, now, the next uh, fascinating thi- thing you see is further to to the north, I guess, no, to the west, further to the west. You see a, a, a bunch of mikvahs, mikvahs which were used by the pilgrims in time of the Second Temple because before you come into the harbites, you go to mikvah. And there was, there were time, I mean, maybe on a regular day, they weren't so busy, but around the holiday times, I mean, this was, I think it was bad going to Tui Mikvah and Erev Yom Kippur, I mean, this was really bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic. So, and and actually, somebody asked, we asked the tour guide, oh, this was another thing, he was showing how, this is one of the things they found over there, like a little bell. So he said, it can't be from the Kayan Gadol, because the Kayan Gadol wouldn't have left the temple with his priestly blessing garments. So Mendel actually referenced the story of uh, Shimon al who was the high priest who came out to greet Alexander wearing <laughs> his priestly clothes. Anyway, so <laughs> that was interesting. Um, Doesn't the tunnels don't get water in them now? Hmm? The tunnels aren't filled with water now. Yeah. yeah. Well, the drainage system had... Right. W- so uh, where, we, where <laughs> you we're standing on a platform where we were standing was dry, but he said when he comes out in the winter, it's like a little bit, the water level's higher. Thing. Now, in the yeah. city of David tour, I you know they have those same kind of drainage tunnels, and you walk through them, and they're full yeah. of water. So one of the things, so here I have some pictures of the mikveh, which I'm going to show you. Is a fascinating thing about the mikvah. First of all, the mikvahs are dug into the mountain, which is in the in in, in, in the in the Mishnah that we say every day after davening. Yeah, hamaro, the needle that is on the steps of the cave. This. Is the steps of the cave. The cave is the mikvah dug into oh. the mountain, and you have to tovel your needle, and you don't want to just dip it into the water because you're scared you're going to lose it. So, what the mission is telling you to do is you leave the needle on the top step, and then you just like brush the water. When a little wave of water passes over your needle, your needle is considered, considered pure, right? You splash the water with your hand, and you get the right. These are this is where that needle was on these steps, right? Now, As you notice, in all these pictures, you can see, there's two, there's sort of the steps, but there's a wall in the middle, and this is made to direct traffic, because there's a lot of traffic, there could be halakhic reasons for it also, but a very um, practical reason, pragmatic reason, is just to direct traffic, there's so many people going, so you go down, one step, dip, and come out the other, s- the other flight of stairs. Oh. Um, somebody asked about a changing room and the tour guide said that it's possible that they went in with their clothing because the clothing also had to become pure. So they just, they took off their shoes maybe, according to some opinions, but they just went in with their clothing and hopefully, at least in the weather, we were there and it would have dried very quickly anyway. All right. Uh, as long well as the the clothing was relatively uh, loose, then would, they would be yeah. A, a fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm not talking about, he had like a uh, tight uh, <laughs> underwear. I don't know. Anyway. so you have a mikvah lady making sure. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, another, so it's so an interesting. I mean, these mikvahs are from the time of Bayashani. The first recorded, the first recorded um, text we have with any laws of mikvahs is the Mishnah, which was re- compiled post Bayashani. So it's interesting that in these mikvahs, we could see so many halachic things that we know from the Mishnah, but these mikvahs were obviously designed and built way before that. Now, just two things which I'll mention. One is that the minimum size of a mikvah is 40 ser, Right, 40 saw is not a whole lot of water. It's, um, this, uh, the, the area which contains 40 se'ah is four and a half feet tall by a foot and a half wide and a foot and a half, right? So you have a sort of a box, which is a foot and a half by a foot and a half wide and long, and four and a half feet tall, that's 40 saw. So. Now, once a mikvah, a mikvah has to be rainwater, once a mikvah has rainwater in it, 40 so, then you could add as much water as you want, you know, what we call tap water, but uh, whatever the equivalent mine sure showed it, you could draw water from the drainage system and add it to the mikvah. So all of the is over there. The bottom step, so to speak, the bottom area, is made to contain 40 saw in one and one level. So like this, so the, the mikvah that we went to was quite a wide mikvah, so it was only this deep. But the narrower mikvahs, like over, he said you could see them, the ones that are narrower, that step is made deeper so that they know this is the 40 saw mark, and then if the water system, if the water is going down, because it's a summer and the water is evaporating and there's no rain expected for another few months, we need to maintain this mikvah. We're going to, before the water reaches that lowest level, we know it still has 40 saw. we're going to go down there to the drainage system, lower our buckets, fill up some buckets of water, and add water to the mikvah. Now, another thing you notice, and you can see this in these pictures, I'll swipe through, you'll see, that you have, you see there's one, two, three, and then this step over here is much bigger than the other steps. And then you have another three steps down, and where we're standing, where Mandel is standing right now, it's a much bigger step. And then you have more steps down to the final big step. Here's from the other direction, you see, this is, I'm sta- taking this picture, standing at the bottom of the mikvah, and that he's on the second big step. Right? You see where Aryasova is standing, that's a much bigger step than the other steps. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. What's that about? So, the halacha is that when you tovel, you're not allowed to stand on a step. You have to stand on a bigger area because the concern is that if you're toveling on a step you might be uh, afraid to lose your balance and because you're afraid to lose your balance you won't tivel properly you'll be holding something too, uh, holding on tight or you you won't dip all the way you'll be eating so the is you have to have an area bigger than just a regular small step to tivel on and if you've ever been to mikvah you'll notice that you have the regular steps halfway down the steps often there's a bit of a bigger step but you but for certainly the bottom area where you might be two or three levels, but it's always a big area to stand on. It's not just a narrow step. Now here, this mikveh is really deep. In other words, if you're sta- where I'm standing right now, so my head, my head, my head is around this. Hi- excuse me, my head is around this height. There's still quite a number of steps to get to the top. So I'd be completely submerged, way down under the water, if the mikveh was full to the top. Right. So these mikvahs are not maintained. They're not. No, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, if you go in the winter you'll see a little bit of water, but not uh, it's not. Uh, now, so basically what's going on over here is these mikvahs are used year 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 round. Now, if you come to the mikvah to to go to the base of mikvahs for Pesach, it's just after the winter. They're going to be full to the top. You can't get to the bottom step. You're going to drown. So they made the third step down be extra big so that you could tovel on this step and turn around and get back up. Right now, you might come again to the base of Mikdash a month and a half later for Shavuos. Now it's this, it's a couple. It's been a couple of months of hot. A lot of water has evaporated. and not so full anymore. So you have another big step, a little bit further down where you could teil. And then coming to the base of migration on the end of the summer before Sukkot. So randomly at the end of the summer, the water level is going to be much lower, and then you have the third bigger step where you could a on lower down. So sort of calibrated to the season. Exactly. You need to have. Yeah, the, it's, so, so the the drainage system wasn't so sophisticated that they, they could adjust it and keep it to a certain level. Right. No, wa- it, it wasn't going to be the same level year-round. Um, absolutely. Okay. Now, the l- um, okay, it's The last thing I want to talk about is the video that I sent to the Tremus and Meisters. I want to explain what that's about. Um, now at one place in the Old City, uh, before I get to the video. Let me just think how to go through this. Okay, let, let me first explain the order of mice. So when you have fruit growing out to you have okay, of course it's the first three or four years when you can't eat it. It's But once you're in the system of eating the fruit, there are the following tithes that have to be taken. First of all, you have truma. Truma <coughs> Truma is um, a small amount of Uh, the produce that's taken, that becomes sanctified, you give it to the (coughs) Kohen, only the Kohen is allowed to eat it, and that's Truma. Then you have what's called Meiseritian, the first tithe. The word miser means a tenth, it has the same root of the word Esar, a tenth. Um, So you take 10%, miserition and you give it to Levi. What does the Levi do with his 10%? So 1% of it which is uh, 10, uh, uh, which is one percent, ten percent of it. Which is one percent of the whole thing. One percent, ten percent of it is called truma meiser, which the levy has to give to the kohen, and that's mm-hmm. the same category of the original truma that we spoke about. And then the rest of it, he could eat himself. There's no sanctity to it. He could share it with whoever he wants. It's just it belongs to him. One out of ten, right? One out of ten. When he, when a tenth of the whole. A tenth of what he, of what he got. A tenth of what he mm-hmm. got, which is so hundred. So another one uh, percent. Let's talk percentage. He gets ten percent of the whole produce. Right. Right, You have 100 oranges, he gets 10 of them. He well, takes he's going to get less than 10 because you've already taken off two for Truma. But yeah, let's say in theory, after you've taken Truma, you have 100 oranges, you're going to give the levy 10. He's going to take one of those 10 and give it to the Koen as Truma's Meister. And then he has nine left, which so, those so nine don't have sanctity. They belong to him. and He can do whatever he wants with them. So, and right, right, so 1% one, one ends up going to the of, One percent uh, of, of the Truma's Maes- of the Maestres. Right, the and and the original truma, which you was 2%, also went to the coin, but nowadays we do less than 2% because anyway the coin's not getting it, so we just do a small amount. Um, then we have, uh, now the ne- after my Trum- we have this next tithe. Now the next tithe depends what year of the Schmitter cycle you're in. In years 1, 2, 4, and 6, you give my serition. is the second tithe, which means that you take... Um, you take another ten per cent. So now you have ninety left, so you're gonna give nine oranges to and you you, you take them up to your shalim and you the the owner doesn't have to give them to anyone, he eat them himself, but they have to be eaten in your shalim. Or if it's too much to slap up to your shalim, you could do payday which means you transfer the sanctity of those fruit onto a coin, you take the coin to your and you in your shalim you buy some other fruit and you eat it in your shalim. Right, that's in years one, two, four, and six, four and five. In years three and six, instead of ma'aser you do ma'aser ani, which means that that second tithe, instead of taking it to eat in Jerusalem, you d- distribute distribute it locally to poor people, ani. And then, of course, the seventh year, which is this year, where everything is hefker, so then you don't um, you don't. There's no tithes because everything's hefker. <coughs> now before I get into what we were able to do with the video I sent another interesting thing is like this what we know is the old city of Jerusalem where the wall is, that wall is from the second temple period the original city of Jerusalem was smaller than that and there is a wall if you, if you, when you're walking around in the Rova in the Jewish Quarter of the Old City, there is remnants of a wall that was built by, I believe, Chizkiyahu HaMalach in the First Temple area um, as a defense against Sancheiruf. Sancheiruf came and he took the Ten Tribes, the Assyrian king took the Ten Tribes, and then he was, he, he was going to come to Jerusalem. And as part of the defense, Chizkiyahu built, HaMalach built a wall. That wall is still there. So one side of that wall is the Old City of Jerusalem from First Temple times, the other side of that wall, in the four times of the First Temple, was not considered part of Yerushalayim. Um, now, <laughs> what's, what's the relevance of all of this today? Who, in other words, what's the halachic relevance of something was is considered part of the original Yerushalayim or not? So, before I mentioned... That you pay there, you redeem the sheni, and you take the money to eat in Yushalayim. Now nowadays we don't do that. What we do is you pay, the, you transfer the money, on the, you transfer the sanctity of those fruit onto a coin, and you destroy that coin. right? So because we can't eat it, the new can't have Tara. So now, you can't transfer ownership sorry, you can't transfer sheni from the fruit to the coin within Yerushalayim, <coughs> right? So that's where we need to know, well, what's considered Yerushalayim, because you, within Yerushalayim, you can't trend, you can't, you're just going to stuck with these fruit that are mice, so you can't transfer them to the coin. So what's the workaround? So the workaround is like this. If the fruit, if before you took any of the tithes, if before you took any of the tithes, the fruit became impure, then you are allowed to redeem it even within Yerushalayim. So when the rabbis from the, ha, from the go around to the fruit stores or to whatever, to the vendors to take tithes from the fruit in Yerushalayim, in the old city of Yerushalayim I believe they do for the, from the, the whole old city, not just from behind that wall of Chizkiyahu HaMelech they just do the whole thing. Before they take the tithes, they contaminate all the fruit. Not contaminate uh, hygienically, but contaminate halachically. Shouldn't that be pretty simple? We're all tummy mace? Oh, but just because we're tummy mace, it doesn't mean the fruit are tummy. Why? There's two issues. Number one, um, how do you know that every single fruit has been touched? You just touch it. Oh, so if you have three oranges and you touch each one, so then that's fine. But what if you have a case of a thousand oranges? Oh, you do touch every orange? <laughs> a it's a lot of work. Yeah, okay. But Bob has been... You do, one, you do the one-chapter cycle, right? So you've uh, you finished the Book of Tarot or you're about to finish... It. Finish it. So, what has to happen to fruit or to any food item before it's susceptible to um, purity by somebody impure no. touching it? Has to get wet. It has to get wet, right? And it has to get wet. Obviously, every fruit is gone wet because it's rained, mm-hmm. but it has to get wet willingly. The owner of the fruit has to willingly allow it to get wet. Now, another thing about water, which Bob knows, uh, is that. Water, whatever level of usually there's a, a, a sort of a cycle, right? There's the strongest level of tumor, then that imparts tumor to something else, it's one level less. Avatum tumor, tu tumor, tumor, right? It's, it's a declining, but that doesn't apply to liquids. Water, even if a n- number three tumor touches water, water always reverts back to being aishnal tumor, right? Remember that R- water always is upgraded to a higher level of impurity, right? So, water can always contaminate fruit. If the water is impure, it could always contaminate fruit. So, what they do is the rabbi is going around before they take the tithe, they take a big spritz bottle, a big spray bottle, he sticks his finger into the water, so now all that water is impure. And then, before he takes the tithe, he sprays all the fruits. So, every fruit that gets a single drop of water on it is now impure because it's become heksher, sus- it's become wet, so it's susceptible to Toba simultaneously, that water is also impure, so the fruit become impure, and then they go ahead and do the process of taking the tithes and there's no... they're allowed to transfer it onto the coin, even within the city, old city of Yerushalayim, because it was impure before the process started. Okay, now let's get to my oranges that you... did everybody see the video I sent? Did you see the video I sent? Alright, well, we'll watch the video soon, but let me explain what was going on over there. So, as we're walking in the old city, so... Um, obviously, it's a nice thing, and the Rebbe also encouraged people to look for an opportunity to do these mitzvahs of and which you don't get to do commonly in Chicago, certainly not with a bracha, because you never know for sure where something is from or what it is. Um, it's unlikely to, I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it, because it's Shemitah, and in the year of Schmittah, how are you going to find fruit that you could do the bracha on? Now, how do you determine what year something is from? It, depen- when it So it depends what it is, but with fruit... It depends that it blossomed before or after the 15th of Shvat of that year. So fruits which blossomed before the 15th of Shvat of this year are considered to be fruit of the 6th year, and then they you have to take the tithes from them. And fruit that blossomed after the 15th of this year are considered Shemitah fruit and have to be eaten with Ketusha Shviyas, with the sanctity of Shvies, nothing can go to waste, etc., etc. Um, but... But and there's no tides. So, in our tour of the old Does city, it count all the fruit on a tree, if one fruit hit, or literally when you pick it, I mean no, it when blossoms. it blossoms, <laughs> right? Oh, very good. So, as we're walking through the old city, the rova, um, our tour g- that we pass an orange tree, and what was very clear on this orange tree, and uh, this part of it, I don't have a very good picture of, but I'll show you a fun picture anyway. Um, you saw an orange tree which the oranges on the bottom of the tree were very small and green and the oranges on the top of the tree were big and orange right? and our tour guide sees this tree at least once a week, if not more mm-hmm. and he told me, he says, I can tell you very clearly that the orange ones, they blossomed in the year six or at least before Tum this year and the bottom ones are Shemitah mm-hmm. now we couldn't reach the ones on the top and here's where Shnei, you guys know my brother Shnei Azaman who comes here sometimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He, he climbed up. Climber? He climbed up. <laughs> and here you can see a picture of him inside the tree. You see? <laughs> uh-huh. right? Now on this picture, all you can see is the green oranges. Right? Uh-huh. You see there's a green orange. But higher up in the tree, there are orange oranges. I don't think you could see any of them in the picture. And he gave a shake and of course the green oranges didn't fall off because they were not ripe at all but a bunch of orange ones fell down and we we took a bunch and arisova took a bunch now here we have an interesting thing so now we have an opportunity to even though it's the schmitte year we know for sure that these fruit come from year six so we could take them and usually you get fruit you don't know for sure the year five or year six so you don't know if the second tithe if you're taking the second tithe to transfer onto money or you're taking the second time, the second time of my to give to poor people. Mm-hmm. But I knew for sure that these oranges blossomed in the sixth. So if you Google the text that you're supposed to say when you Ma'arish a Ma'aser, the default that any text will give you is a text to say that it, you stipulate if it's from the year one, two, four, or five. So then this is going to be Ma'aser Sheni, and I'm transferring it onto this coin. And if it's from year three and six, then it's my ani, and right. I didn't have to do any of that, because I knew for sure it was from year 6, so I had to adjust, the t- I googled the text, I found the text, but I had to adjust the text accordingly, because I knew for sure this was from year 6. Um, another thing is... Is there uh, a bracha you saying this? Yeah, I said the bracha. And another thing that um, was relevant is that you can't do it, I was going to do, I, it would have been nice to do it right there together with the Torah, but you have, in order for it to be, the fruit to become actually obligated in Trumas of Isis, it has to be Roya pneya bais. you have to take it home. There's actually a number of things you could take it to... There has to be a certain process, a certain thing accomplished in order for it to be absolutely obligated to take the tithes. The simplest one of those things to accomplish is to take it home, and you have to take it home through the front door. So you take it through the window, it doesn't count. I had a friend in Yeshiva in Chalon who stuck his head out the window and took a fruit and ate it without taking any tithes, because it was not really a Pnei it came through a window. So... (laughs) <laughs> I had my oranges in my backpack, and I made sure to walk through the front door of the building we were staying in. I took it into the house, and then it was home, and I was able to take the truma some Of course, when you say this text, it's not a prayer. You're actually saying a legal text, and basically the way it works is, is you, we, you have the first one, which is Truma. Truma originally was 2%, but because now you can't do anything with it anyway, it just goes, you wrap it up nicely in a bag, put it in the garbage, some people burn right. it. So, we take any, any small amount. So, a small amount of it is Truma, right? But the only, but there's another part that does have an amount, because the second, there's another Truma which the Levy takes, which is a tenth of his tenth, which is a hundredth of, 1% of the whole thing. That is an amount. It has to be one 10% of 10%, which is 1%. The rest of it doesn't matter. So what you do is, you cut... So I said the whole thing in Hebrew, but I'm explaining now what I'm going to do, and then you'll watch the video, which is about a one-minute video, and we'll call it a day. You cut off a piece of the orange, which is more than 1%, more than a hundredth. Right? And you start off by saying, of this piece that I've cut off, the part that's more than the hundred, the part that's more than 1%, that is truma. Right? The nine... What do you say? The, I've taken off a piece. Let's say I've taken off a piece that's, just for argument's sake, say it's 2%. I have here whatever bunch of oranges. The way I did it was simple because I only had oranges. It gets more complicated if you are it from a bunch of different so fruit you together. You cut off a piece of the orange. You cut off a piece of an orange that's equivalent to more than 1% of what you have. So that, let's just keep it simple. Let's say the piece I cut off is 2%, right? So I say like this. One of the percent, the 1% that I, ha- I have here in this piece, that's 2%. 1% of it is truma for the whole lot. Okay? Now, the next thing I need to do after do truma is the tithe for the levy, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the tithe of the levy is 10% of the whole lot, but from that 10%, only one is going to become truma's miser and become holy. The rest of it doesn't have any sanctity. So what I say is, the rest of this piece that I've cut off, together with another 9% over here, is my serrition, the tithe for the levy. And then... The other 1% that I've taken off is Truma's Meiser for the lady. And now what I'm left with is the 2% that I cut off, 1% is Truma, 1% is Truma's Meiser. Both mm-hmm. of those are sanctity. I'm going to wrap them neatly into a double covering and put them respectfully in the garbage or burn it or bury it, whatever you're it is. You, you're taking that and you're putting that aside for the, tr- for the, for the, for the Truma you need to give. And And also the truma that ultimately has to go to the cone from the levy. Right. But the rest of what belongs to the levy, the other 9%, it's still there mixed into the rest of my oranges because I'm not actually going to give it to the levy. Right. Uh Because, okay, why is beyond the scope for right now, right? Now, then I have to take the second tithe, which in my case, I know for sure is my Ani. So usually, if I knew for sure it was My I would then get to make another bracha and transfer that onto a coin and do that whole thing. But because it was My Ani, I don't have to transfer it onto a coin, I just have to give the equivalent of it to a poor person. Um, and so that's what I did. I said the rest of the 10%, uh, another 10% of this is... Maeser Ani, and that's it. Now, the tour guy told me that the custom is that you don't give Maeser, you don't actually give the Maeser Ani to the, to the poor person. Now, he made a little bit of a mistake. The reason why that's the custom is because usually you don't know for sure that whether or not it's you don't know for sure if it's year one, two, four, five, or year three and six. I knew for sure it was three and six, and so I do have to give something to the poor person, but instead of giving him a measly piece of orange, I'll give a dollar equivalent to that. Again, because there's no sanctity, it doesn't have to be that exact piece of orange. It just means I have to give the equivalent to that. So I'll just give a few cents or a dollar to a poor person, and that'll be fine. Now, why don't we give the Meisterition to Should the Levi? in the old city. I'm not sure why. I don't remember right now offhand why, in practice, we don't give Meisterition to the Levi nowadays, but that's how it's done. And we'll finish by showing you that video. And um, yeah, one second. There we go. The often people when they're to do the
1: That's my sister-in-law trying to get me to learn.
0: Schmitter went to my sister. Why? However, with the help of my brother's um, acrobatic acrobatic skills, um, we managed to get down some oranges from a tree.